from the team at CTS, this is the Time Crunch Cyclist Podcast, our show dedicated to answering your training questions and providing actionable advice to help you improve your performance, even if you're strapped for time. I'm your host, Coach Adam Pulford, and I'm one of the over 50 professional coaches who make up the team at CTS. In each episode, I draw on our team's collective knowledge, other coaches, and experts in the field to provide you with the practical ways to get the most out of your training and ultimately become the best cyclist that you can be. Now, on to our show. Welcome back, Time Crunch fans. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Coach Adam Pulford, and I'm pretty excited to see this show continually grow each month. It's all because of you, our listeners. We've done away with our ads and sponsors here on the show, and we just are keeping the episodes short and to the point so that we just give you that actionable training advice so that you can learn it and get after it on your workouts. And since you know that I'm kind of a data nerd, I'll share this with you. We just hit right around 733,000 total downloads for this podcast. And that's all being driven by you, our audience. And I can't thank you enough by doing that because it helps to grow the show and it gives you the content that you actually want to hear. So I'll, I'll talk more to that at the end of this show, because as all um, audience members know that have been listening for a while, you can ask any, any question that you want, you submit it over to us and we'll do our best answer it on the show. A lot like we're going to do right now. So let's get into it. Uh, today's questions are kind of like overall from the lab testing episodes that we've done. So if you, if you missed, if, if you're like, Oh, lab testing, that sounds great. Yeah. Just go back, um, a, a couple episodes and you'll get it. And that'll frame up at least question one here. And then, uh, we'll talk about some training zone stuff in question two. So here's the first question. Great set of pods about lactate testing. Uh, given that non pros need to pay for the tests ourselves, and they're fairly expensive, right around $300. Could you or Renee comment on how stable the results are? Meaning if one were to test at the end of a previous season to set metrics for base, will those metrics for the athlete continue through their season or do they need to test again after the base mode to see progress to reset zones? Renee's very informative blog post does suggest retesting so then each year an athlete would be looking at right around $600 per season just for the testing alone. Not trying to rain on the parade since I do agree testing is valuable for understanding LT1 and probably the fat sugar ratios at various intensities, but having a cost value discussion might be interesting to some listeners. That's coming from Peter. Peter, yeah, great, great question for sure. And cost is always part of the equation with all things bike, training, and the pursuit of our goals. I'm definitely one that errs on the side of simplicity on most things, including training. So here's my advice. Test at least once in your life. At the very least, going through a test establishing LT1 and LT2 is a great, it, it's great for your personal knowledge as to what the numbers look like and how the efforts should feel in the correct training zones. You'll not only gain all the data that we talked about in those previous lab tests, but you'll gain the knowledge and advice from the practitioner or coach doing the test. From a metabolic standpoint, you'll be able to see if you're a sugar burner or not 
and that can divide, and then you can devise a training plan uh, to become more of a fat burning endurance athlete if that's your goal. Once you learn all of this, you can then apply those same concepts each year without having to do testing again. But it will take some discipline and objective self coaching to get it done. But once, even once in your lifetime, is super valuable, in my opinion. Now, test twice in the same year if you can, and that's ideal. Peter, to answer your question directly, the metrics won't last a whole season, nor do you really want them to. If you're training properly, you'll grow out of these zones and you'll need to retest at some point. Lab testing, like I said, twice per year is ideal, once before the base and then once maybe midway through the season or after a main event of the season to capture the changes made from training. That's why you want to test twice. Field testing is the next layer. Now, I want you to think about this. Even if you do test twice per year in the lab, there's still a field test that you could do mid-season. And I know now I'm like, oh my gosh, there's three tests throughout the whole season. Yeah, probably. But that's it. I, I wouldn't do more than that. And typically, it would probably be like two tests. Okay. But let me let me make this a little bit more simple. If you can do multiple tests in a year, field testing is something that I suggest to do for all of my athletes. It's, it's part of my training philosophy. It's part of the execution in my practice that I do with all my athletes. I'll get to some of the more detail in the next question, actually, because there's some applicability there. But on a high level, after a base and build time period, say probably like four to six months, and that's depending on your season and what everything sh like shapes up to be. But you'll need to do another test at that at that point. Okay, so even if you did a lab test to start the season, get baseline values, you train for four to six months doing an aerobic base period to uh, like a high aerobic build and maybe even like one round of threshold. That's when I'm going to do another field test because that four to six months again, there's a lot of time in there and it depends. But that should be that should be adequate training to move the needle forward um, when it comes to what is that FTP or lactate threshold. And then and that's a hitch, hinge point for a lot of these other um, training zones. Okay. But you'll need to adjust those training zones to keep progressing. And that's why I say a field test, um, you know, kind of like halfway through the season is a pretty good way to do it uh, for a lot of the listeners here. So a 20 minute Max effort, 20 minute field test. That's the best way to do it. For more information about this, check out season three, episode 106. And I cover when, how often, and how to do a field test in episode 106. This will be an estimate of your FTP in order to give you functional training zones for the rest of the season. Do this simply by taking your highest average heart rate from that 20 minute test, plug it into training peaks, and use the CTS methodology calculator on training peaks to set up those zones. Again, listen to 106 and I cover a lot of that, a lot of the like particulars in that episode. Now you never want to lose the feel of that LT1. Okay. So let's assume that you did a, a lab test already and that feel that Renee and I were talking about once you've established what LT1 is, it feels pretty light. The more fit you get, it, it still feels light. Okay, we're talking like a four or five out of 10. If 10 is a maximum effort on a rate of perceived effort scale, four or five out of 10 is the effort that we're looking at. 
We can just identify it very specifically with lactate and power and heart rate. And so these are metrics and, and data points that you can use to ensure that you're training properly. But the perceived effort is still very valid when it comes to all training zones, especially zone two. You just got to be real honest with yourself. Okay. Rate of perceived effort is, is something that we use in, in research as well as training for a very important reason. Once an athlete, and this is, this is also the, the asterisk here, but the athlete needs to work on themselves to have awareness of what an effort feels like in order to achieve that. But if you are honest with yourself, after you've been trained for a little bit, you'll know what a four or five out of 10 feels like. Okay. You'll know what an eight feels like. And rate of perceived effort is something that I just harp and harp and harp on my athletes because you need to know where you're at. And it's a huge part of training. Don't rely just on the numbers. And this is, this is part of it too. Lab test, great. Get all the numbers in the world. But you need an effort. You need a, a, you need a very subjective way of, of establishing those numbers to your own training. Rate of perceived effort is that. Now, the issue that I find, and as we discuss, is when athletes are seeing improvements and they feel good, they just want to reach to the other upper limits, okay? Higher power on aerobic days is not the way to reach the upper levels of performance. Save that hard stuff for the hard days, and you'll be good to go. So I kind of see it like this, Peter, and for all of our other listeners, is if you really want to see the changes under the hood of the car, so to speak, and you can do lab tests twice per year, spend $600, maybe a little bit more with, with travel. It's definitely worth it because if you commit to that process in a year and you'll see those changes, not only with the functional threshold power, which you would do in the, in the field test mid season, maybe lab test anchored on either end of the year, you'll see, you'll see those changes out on the road and you'll see those changes within your body. And that you, you probably won't need to do again, for quite some time, maybe ever in your life, but it is definitely a worthwhile investment if you're spending all this time, energy, and money already being an athlete. And so from a practical standpoint, I would encourage you to think about it in that way of committing to a year of it and not necessarily every single year. Don't get caught up on that super long-term stuff because once you learn what you need to learn from those lab tests, you can then apply it very practically with a power meter and you know a coach who knows something about the process of this or if you're a self-coached athlete and learn more about how to do field testing, when to do it, and how FTP really pours into every other training zone, including zone two, then being disciplined and riding, you know, have a perceived effort of four or five or the low to middle end of that zone two to train aerobically, get all the benefits of, of aerobic training. That's what you need to do. That's the practical aspect of it. So yeah, Peter, um, <clears throat> kind of round this thing out. I don't think you need to be thinking about spending 600 or $1,000 each year on lab testing. That's not what I tell any of my athletes to do, but testing regularly each year is something that I do on a very regular basis. All right. So question number two for the day, and there's actually multiple questions here. So I'm going to read a bunch and then we're going to answer. Them. My question is if six to eight hours is considered time crunched, what would you consider not so time crunched? And then all the time needed to fully train. 
My goals are just to be as good as I can be, but I plan to take the next three to four months and really build my base training. I don't know what my max heart rate is. I'm 47 years old. I've only ever done one FTP test, and it was a Zwift ramp test, which came in at 243 watts. So that puts me around 155 watts at zone two. By the end of the summer, I would like to be around 200 watts or higher at zone two. Is that too high of an expectation given appropriate training? When should I feel good about increasing the intensity at zone two while keeping the optimal mitochondrial benefit without using things like a lactate meter to be sure? 155 watts is fairly easy right now, and I could do that all day, but toward the end of a ride, my heart rate is already creeping up over the top end of the range, and then I fear my heart rate can't handle the increase, and I should stay in zone two power for now. And that's coming from Andy. So that's a little wordy, <laughs> but thank you for all the information there. Andy definitely helps in uh, answering your questions. So let's take these one at a time as there's some applicability to field testing, like I said before. Um, but let's tackle that first one, that first question here. We've identified, so time crunchness, six to eight hours. Okay. We've identified this here at CTS, six to eight hours of being time crunched as a rough estimate of what many of our athletes have time for, that they can still be competitive for many races and events and still pretty serious about fitness. However, they don't have the luxury of, uh, you know, tons of hours to not only train, but recover in the week. Okay. So that time crunchness is, is something where you can still be pretty, you know, serious, but you don't have all the luxuries in the world. So how much time is not time crunched? I don't know. Like the way I kind of think about it is if you got 10 to 12 hours, personally, that's probably not so time crunched for uh, most people and most most athletes goals with uh, like amateur athletes. Okay. But you can, you can still do a lot with 10 to 12 hours per week. Okay. 15 hours per week. Yeah. You can, you can definitely do a lot with that. Um, and you'll, you'll need that 15 hours a week to be like a serious competitor, serious amateur for some of the, like, if, if you do have bigger goals, like the unbound or some of these huge gravel races, stuff like that. And then 20 to 30 hours per week, that's what pros need to fully develop. That's a lot of time, but keep in mind, typically if they're doing that hour, those hours, um, you're either, you know, being paid to ride your bike or you're just pretty nuts. <laughs> so time crunch is actually relative, right? So there's probably some people out there that would think that eight hours is pretty crazy. And some people think, what are you doing if you're not doing 18? Okay. Personally, I think 10 to 12 hours per week, not so time crunched, but that it really moves the needle. That's about five to 600 hours of training. Can a lot of top national riders and athletes are doing that. Okay. So um, again, to kind of like just ground in like, what is time crunchness? That's where we're coming from on the six to eight hours per week. When you can get it, any athlete, if you can do a little bit more on some of your big weeks, it's going to be great. Do a training camp, move the needle forward on the aerobic base that we've been talking about, um, and deepen, deepen the depth of your aerobic fitness. And that's going to be great. And you, and you do that a lot through volume. Okay. All right. Next question here on max heart rate. First, don't worry about max heart rate. It's not applicable to any training modality that uh, most of us in the field are doing, nor is it something that I'm concerned about in my practice. Philosophically, I'd argue that it doesn't even exist, but I'll leave it there for a minute as <laughs> so we want to keep this thing practical. You want to focus on your threshold heart rate 
and your threshold power via field testing or lab testing to set up these training zones. So don't worry about max RA. Now to your zone two question, instead of wanting to improve power at zone two, focus on power at zone four or functional threshold power. I know many articles and companies are saying and proclaiming, is FTP dead? But it's not. <laughs> it's, it's still the most reliable uh, aspect of, of what good coaches and training systems are using for their training methodologies and hinge points for training zones, stress scores, and fitness modeling, things like this. If you increase your FTP, your zone two and all other zones will also increase. Okay. A little asterisk there, maybe, maybe not anaerobic, but uh, for the most part, yes, it is the rising tide that uh, rises all ships. Check out season two, episode 66 for more about this. Title of that episode is called How to Increase Your FTP. So if you want to learn all about that, check out episode 66. So improving power at FTP will require different periods of training. You can't just ride your bike around at zone two and think that, you know, magically FTP will increase, especially if you're a time crunched athlete. For example, you know, four to six weeks of aerobic training, take a rest week three to four weeks at tempo, rest week, three to four weeks at threshold, rest week, and repeat. Now, if you're a self-coach athlete, I do recommend only adjusting zones after a valid field test. If I'm going to make broad statements, I'll double down on having good testing to validate your data. There's some nuance here, and I do adjust zones for athletes who are racing a bunch and doing hard group rides often. If I see certain things in the data multiple times, but I won't really give that advice here on this podcast. It's too individualized and it depends on too many factors that a podcast recommendation just can't provide. So um, generally speaking, test yourself two times per year, like I uh, told Peter in that first question, and do this on the same course or in the same environment each time to control the elements. Which field tests should you do? Okay, so... You mentioned the Zwift ramp protocol. If you like that one, if it works for you, cool, keep doing it. Personally, that's not what I use. I use, I would recommend a standard 20 minute time trial test to be most effective uh, for anybody listening here. Okay. I've mentioned before in the podcast that I do something a little different with my athletes, but 20 minute ish is still part of my testing week protocols that I do with all, of, with all my um, athletes to determine training zones and, um, you know, uh, energy systems and, and, uh, strengths and weaknesses. I've linked to a great article on how to field test properly. So check out our show notes on our landing page or on, um, Apple podcasts to, uh, link directly to there. Finally, just a quick response in your zone to heart rate question. Based on what you told me with heart rate creeping up toward the end of your endurance rides, Andy, it definitely seems like you could use more time riding aerobically so that heart rate doesn't creep up as much. Ride to the low mid end of zone two for aerobic days and keep building endurance. Whenever you can increase that long ride, definitely do it because that's that's for sure going to help. You can still stay in zone two, but at some point you'll need to incorporate tempo intervals which are the next step to this. And they are high aerobic efforts that feel more like a six to seven out of 10. And this will keep moving the needle forward on fitness gains and progression in performance here. And you'll start seeing less heart rate drift toward the end of those aerobic rides. 
So, wow, that is a lot, a lot of good questions and hopefully some good advice to y'all to start shaping up the next training block or season with confidence. Overall, I'd summarize this whole podcast by saying, even if you only do one lab test in your life, do it. It's worth it to gain the knowledge as well as the data. If you can lab test twice per year to see the changes from period to period, this is best. And you don't need to do this each and every year for the rest of your life to keep on training right. You can utilize field testing to do that. And field testing should be part of your training program. And I generally do this twice per year for all my athletes. And and that's adequate. For more on how to field test or when to do them, check out episode 106. And then check out episode 66 for everything you need to know on how to improve your functional threshold power. Finally, if all of this makes sense and it's exciting, but it's daunting to you because it is fairly complex, like I'm not going to lie, like even shaping up this podcast, I had to like spend quite a bit of time like gathering the resources and, and organizing my thoughts. Okay. So if that's you, I'd recommend getting a coach or do a coach consult to help you organize your goals with a strategy. Send an email to athleteservices at trainright.com and get something set up today with one of our coaches. Now, in closing, remember that you, our listeners, are the main drivers of this content here on the show. And all the questions that you ask and how you're sharing these episodes with your friends is definitely impacting what we do. Keep doing that because we see the numbers of downloads growing, the number of listens going up, and as well as all the number of questions coming in. If you have a question for us, head over to trainright.com backslash podcast, click on ask a training question, and those get sent directly to me. We'll do our best to answer it on our show, just like we did today. Thanks again for listening to the Time Crunch Cyclist Podcast, and thanks for all the awesome questions. Keep going out there and keep training right. Thanks for joining us on the Time Crunch Cyclist Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you want even more actionable training advice, head over to trainright.com backslash newsletter and subscribe to our free weekly publication. Each week, you'll get in-depth training content that goes beyond what we cover here on the podcast that'll help you take your training to the next level. That's all for now. Until next time, train hard, train smart, train right.